0: Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a Motherhood Feels podcast. I'm Dr. Jill Garrett, a licensed psychologist who specializes in perinatal mental health and host of Hindsight is 2020. On this episode, I welcome seasoned mom of twins and former career covert CIA operations officer, Valerie Plain. Valerie's occupation and identity as a covert CIA officer had to be kept secret from even her closest family and friends. However, that all changed in 2003 when a conservative columnist at the direction of senior White House officials leaked her true identity. This ended her covert career and ignited a political scandal that rocked the Bush-Cheney administration. All the while, Valerie and her then-husband, Ambassador Joseph Wilson, were left to navigate this political maelstrom while also parenting three-year-old twins. Valerie details this journey, along with her personal journey of experiencing postpartum depression after the birth of her twins, in her New York Times best-selling memoir, Fair Game, My Life as a Spy, My Betrayal by the White House. Valerie's book was also released as a major motion picture of the same name, starring Sean Penn and Naomi Watts. In addition to publishing two other spy thrillers, running for Congress, and being the twin mom of now college age children, Valerie has created what sounds like an amazing conference that I have now added to my bucket list Spies, Lies, and Nukes. In this conference, Valerie and her highly decorated CIA colleagues pull back the curtain on the reality of international espionage. Check out spiesliesnukes.com for more. Valerie, who never intended to be a public person, now uses her platform to advocate for a variety of causes, including the global elimination of nuclear weapons and perinatal mental health. All of that and more. Next. Hey guys, it's me, Jill. If you are interested in integrating more support for moms, dads, and families into your healthcare system or business, please contact Motherhood feels at motherhoodfeels at gmail.com. The Motherhood Feels supports include Before Baby Boot Camp, an online self paced course and downloadable workbook that offers education, evidence based coping skills, an opportunity to create a personalized coping plan, and resources for new and expectant parents. Check out motherhoodfeels.com for a sneak peek of the course and to check out my newly published rhyming storybooks with healthy mental health and safe sleep messages, motherhood feels M is for mom and fatherhood feels D is for dad. Both the course and the storybooks can be personalized to your healthcare system or corporation. And as per usual, help this podcast grow by subscribing on Apple and Spotify. You can find me on social at motherhood feels. Thanks for listening. Hey, Valerie, thanks for being here. It's my pleasure and an
1: honor. Thank you for having me.
0: So let's start with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. Uh, My name is Valerie Plame. And
1: professionally, I was a former CIA operations officer. My expertise was the area of nuclear counterproliferation, making sure bad guys do not get nukes. I loved my job, was very proud to serve my country. And it ended rather abruptly in 2003 when my true identity was betrayed by the Bush administration because they didn't like what my husband, Ambassador Joe Wilson, wrote about the Iraq War. So that became a a big political thing. And that went on for some years. They made a movie about what we went through called Fair Game with Naomi Watts and Sean Penn. I wrote a couple spy thrillers and ran for Congress, and uh, I I now live in New Mexico, and uh, taking a, a little bit of a breath, although I've got plenty of other projects going on right now. On the personal side of things, and how it relates to the work you do, Jill, which is incredible, uh, I have twins. They're now 24, boy-girl twins. They were born in January 2000, and I of course, uh, it took a little. Uh, you know, I, I was still working at the CIA, and I experienced some pretty profound postpartum depression. Except I didn't really know what it was for a while, um, as is as is typical, actually. And I found it to be so disorienting, so profoundly altering what was going on inside of me. And here I was, highly educated. Uh, wanted these children. I had, you know, help from my mother, but and yet I, I still went through this. And when I came out on the other side about a year later, I thought I, I have to advocate and educate around this issue. So I did. I've, I've done that ever since in different ways and times. Uh, but I'm very proud of the fact that I included a chapter on this in my book Fair Game. Although my publisher was not convinced because it doesn't sound very spy-like, but I'm like, hey, this is the journey and, and it has made me richer, far more empathetic. I am blessed with a pretty sunny disposition and optimism. So when for months on end, days, weeks, months, when I didn't wake up happy to greet the day. And in fact, a sinking feeling of how can I get out of here? It was so scary. So I want to do whatever I can to help educate other new
0: families about this. Well, I thank you for taking time to share your journey in all of this. And I had met you briefly in about 2016 when you were the keynote speaker for a talk through, I believe, Postpartum Support International, where I was on a panel Mm -hmm. and you were the keynote speaker and you gave a great speech. I think you've gotten really involved in all of this. I think you were involved with Postpartum Support International in some way as well.
1: Yes, I was. And that was a a terrific organization. The only, really the only one doing anything with real reach at the time when uh, the early year, when my, when I was just coming out of it and figuring out what's out there, how can I help other women? And uh, yes, I sat on their board for a while. They continue to, to continually enhance their outreach to moms, but also to caregivers. And, uh, I, I just hope that if I were to have uh, a baby today, which will not happen, uh, mm-hmm. but if that were possible, um, I just hope that my whole experience and my understanding from the moment, even from the moment I started talking to my obstetrician, would have been different. No one spoke to me about this, no one mentioned it. It was all, I got all kinds of leaflets on make sure my baby goes to sleep on her back. But nothing about my well-being. and uh, and I hope I, I I believe, and I don't think it's as widespread as it needs to be, but it it has slowly changed. It's been twenty four years.
0: Yeah, I think there has been a bit more growth, but there's certainly more room to grow. And so like you, I am working to kind of normalize the conversation and get resources out there. Um, Let's talk a little bit, if it's okay, if we shift backwards a little bit. And you mentioned your job and the well-known status of it now. Uh, Growing up, is that what you had always wanted to be? Not at all. I mean, I never thought that
1: <laughs> espionage could be a career. Uh, my dad was an Air Force officer. My mother was a school teacher. Uh, we we lived a lot of places and I got to travel with them. So that that international piece was always important in my life. And I did my undergraduate at Penn State and they came on campus to recruit. This is at the height of the Cold War. And I applied and and started going through the process which is quite long and quite arduous as you might imagine but I was intrigued by it because it it did have that element of of course it was serving your country public service but it also frankly sounded way more interesting than what my Friends were doing. And I don't mean in any way to disparage that. I just like, I wanted the heck out of central Pennsylvania at that point in time. And um, I, as I said, I loved it. If none of that had happened, I like to think I would be overseas now working on that whole
0: nuclear threat issue. Mm -hmm. You are talking about a job where you are having to assess and make good connections with people. And it's reminding me a little bit about my job as a psychologist. And I am guessing that in social situations, people might be asking you things like, are you analyzing me? Mm -hmm. And I find that happens for me as a psychologist. Uh What happens for you when that question is asked? Sure. I'm sure it's a professional thing that you run up against all the time at cocktail parties.
1: I was an operations officer, so that meant I was spotting, assessing, recruiting foreign assets for senior U.S. policymakers on intelligence. That said, at the heart of it, in fact, is psychology. What motivates someone to want to betray their country? Why would they ever do such a thing? Well, there are as many motivations as are our individuals, but typically it's money, ideology, ego, uh, and sometimes a combination of all them and then some. And so our job was, as we're assessing someone who's in a position of access to intelligence, figure out what is it that makes them tick. You can teach some of those things, but it's also um, inherent empathy paying attention, listening. Um,
0: I fail at it every single day, but I try to listen more than I talk. It's a tough one, but it sounds like you've obviously been successful in it. I'm also thinking about, and this is my very limited insight into the CIA, but I think there is something called the farm where you are trained. They put you through the ringer and see how you do. I might be off on that. But no, that's that's all true. <laughs> okay, all true. Okay. So I'm thinking about as a mom of twins, just the emotional toll and the sleep deprivation of that role. What the comparison of that as compared to perhaps going through the farm was like? Mm-hmm. Well, particularly you, you touched on sleep deprivation,
1: and that was really my downfall every new mother of course experiences sleep deprivation that's just part of the package but twins it's doubled and i understood uh, why it's used frankly as a torture device it so completely breaks down uh your character your your sense of self um i didn't hallucinate but i mean i went i couldn't sleep ever you were only in small snatches and and this went on for weeks and months and uh, we did have an element of that in our farm training, but it, it was far less, and and two little lives were not dependent on me. I found that to be the most brutal part of it all, because you cannot function and you can't feel good about yourself if you do not have that foundational sleep and rest that is so crucial to our well being. So yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't connect the two at the time. I, I my mind wasn't working. But Nothing prepares you for it. You can't. When I do talk with mothers and families that are struggling, uh, how important that is to be able to cope with all the other transitions that you're going through, which is nearly impossible when you do have a new baby, but at least realizing the importance of it.
0: Yeah. I find one of the things I'm doing is prescribing sleep and or helping people figure out strategies to improve their sleep. Because like you're saying, it's so crucial to our mood. So I can relate to that. Yeah.
1: And to to this day, I jealously guard my sleep. We got a dog uh, from the shelter about a year ago, nice big German shepherd. She's a sweetheart. She might be coming into the door any minute. But the point of that is like a lot of people, as I talked to other dog owners, they let their dogs sleep on the bed. I'm like, no, don't. And I know it's everyone has a very personal choice on that. But I'm
0: like, "Mm -mm. if that dog turns over and wakes me up, mm I'm, mm -mm." you
1: know, so she sleeps right next to us, but not on the bed.
0: You're like me. I have a dedicated going to sleep time if we're watching a show and my husband's like it's 9:40, you're not upstairs yet. It's a clue that something's off because I keep to a rigid sleep routine. I like all my hours. You talked about 2003 as being the year where things changed for you. Your covert status was outed. And so you had children that were, if I'm doing the math, 3 years old at the time. There you go. So what did that do for your parenting experience? I think a lot of parents can relate to having trauma and crises, but then you also have to parent on top of that. Can you share about that experience? Absolutely.
1: For us, this whole political maelstrom went on for several years. And it was both of us. It wasn't just one parent. It was both of us in in just the depths of this. We were called liars and traitors. There was media on our front lawn. It, it was um, a profoundly unsettling time. And I describe it like falling down Alice's rabbit hole, where white is black and black is white. And there is all this stuff all over the media about Joe Wilson and Valerie Plame, and make you know what sort of people we were, crazy-making. And you're right, we have three-year-old twins at home and i've i've tried really hard not to be bitter because that is just such a useless emotion over what happened but my anger still remains that because that happened i was needless to say hardly fully present when my children were at this uh exhausting yet precious stage of you know toddlerhood and because Every, I mean, it was it was constant when they were three, four, five, six years old. Of media pressure, um, the, the atmosphere in the house was constantly on edge. It was chronic, chronic stress, and um, it takes a toll. And I, I still carry around. It wasn't my doing. It was out of my control. But I still carry guilt about my children with that. They. they <laughs> they seem to be great kids and um but i ha- i i have to believe that it it does a, it, of course it does it affects your growing up because as much as you you try uh the fact is the back of your mind is always someplace else on these big issues that we were trying that joe and i were trying to grapple with so i i feel still awful about that but whether it's some big international political scandal or it's it's some other issue, trauma, stressor in the house, someone loses a job, there's a death in the family, there's all sorts of things, uh, that is the human condition. And you simply try to do your best through that and do your best for your children.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine having to explain what was going on? To oh, you can't.
1: Three-year-old explain, brain. Explain any of that to a three-year-old, or for you know. And it's honestly only in the last few years, as my children have become young adults, and have revisited their the book their father wrote and I wrote, and watched the movie as adults, they have a better understanding. And certainly when they are parents. I believe they will be someday in the future, they will
0: really come around and go, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that That was hard for sure. Well, you know, I always am talking with parents and moms in particular around how, when you become a parent, the identity shift happens. And I'm wondering what you noticed about the identity shift for yourself uh, going from a career but also now a career and a mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they
1: never talk about that, do they? Or at least they didn't. I I don't know. I thought I was kind of smart, but I wasn't. And I experienced that huge identity shift because I <laughs> I really wanted children, but I love my career and I put it on as off as long as I possibly could. I didn't have twins until I um, I was thirty six babies. Yeah, so. I had had a long stretch of being a very independent—I uh, don't want to say powerful—but you know, I—I I made my own decisions. I was doing interesting work. I was traveling all over the world, and uh, and then all of a sudden, you are completely and utterly t- everything. Everything changes, and postpartum depression aside, just that alone, that transition is deeply felt and. I don't think they talk about it enough. I've only seen a little bit here and there, and this sounds so right to me. You are grieving a loss of yourself prior to being a mother, prior to being a parent. I'm sure men go through aspects of it for themselves. Because everyone typically is like, oh, isn't this the best time in your whole entire life? Look how cute they are. And, you know, you, you feel badly Even thinking to yourself that, wow, this is different. This is not exactly what I I didn't know what I thought it was, but, you know, it wasn't this. And um, I would love to see more understanding, more education around that huge shift. From only caring about yourself, very selfish creatures that we are, to take care of little beings, little critters, and what that means uh, for your relationship with your partner, what that means uh, with yourself, how the how you think the world is viewing you—it's
0: all—it's all big. It's all really, really big. It's definitely very big. And I also think about how here you are, an accomplished professional who clearly knew what you were doing on that front. And (laughs) then you have babies. Oh, I knew nothing.
1: I knew nothing. I didn't have younger siblings. I wasn't really around babies very much growing up. I mean, isn't, yeah. to say I was ignorant would be an understatement. I had just no idea. And I wish I had trusted my instincts, if you will, a little bit better, but I didn't have any. I feel like I didn't even have any instincts to know what to do. It's all supposed to be all natural and it's not. And, um, but I, I, I worried tremendously. And of course, the whole thing then starts snowballing and it it accelerates and your anxiety feeds your depression and your depression feeds your, (laughs) it's a a tough time.
0: It definitely is. And you described having maybe a year or so period where you were having perhaps some depression and anxiety symptoms. What do you think helped move you through that experience? Um,
1: Mm couple things um one your baby does start sleeping a little bit better so you can sleep a little bit better so that really doesn't happen although until month three four somewhere in there five um i did go on an antidepressant for a few months uh, and that i'm sure helped um but it's it's moving through that transition and ultimately recognizing that this is not forever. Your whole life is not going to be waking up for the 2 a.m. feeding. Because when you're in it and you're just exhausted and you're like, this is it. This is all it's gonna be. This is uh rather than a set period of time that you will move through. I mean, it intellectually it's obvious all children grow, uh, but it's when you're in it and you're so beaten down by the lack of sleep and other other clinical things that might be happening to you, it doesn't feel that way yeah. in the moment.
0: Yeah. When you're in it, you, you're feeling like this is forever, but with some hindsight, you're able to say this is a phase, this is a season wow. of life.
1: And that's what I want when my children have... Children of their own, both my son and my daughter. I I want to stress that because I felt like no one told me that. I don't know. It, it sounds silly. Maybe they did, and I couldn't hear it, and I didn't listen. But I I want them to know that it's it's a short period of time, and you will move through it. There will be happier days ahead.
0: Yeah, that's a much more optimistic message than a sleep deprived brain saying, "I can't deal with this. This is forever."
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. When I when I speak to uh, new mothers, I do try to convey that that this is not your new reality forever. This is a period of time, and I wish I'd heard that that
0: that might have helped. Yeah. So I'm thinking now as a seasoned mom with these young twenty year olds, my sense is that you had opportunities to perhaps use some of your skills, uh, to parent perhaps. Did you find that any of your professional skills were generalizable to parenting? (laughs)
1: Yeah. I think there's a whole book on like how to use your spy skills on your kids written by (laughs) a colleague. I can't, but, um, uh, I suppose the most important one, really listen to what your kid is saying. It's hard. And, um, paying attention paying attention as they moved into middle school and high school paying close attention to who their peer group was uh change in patterns that's a big one which applies both to you know counterintelligence as well as your own children is something different what is different here and catching it early easier said than done of course and always s- and this would apply in any aspect of your life, is setting healthy boundaries. What is not permissible? You know, you cannot speak to me like that. That is not allowed. But it it applies to, you know, working as well with your colleagues. That is unacceptable behavior. <laughs> and
0: you can deliver it nicely. So, you know, those are some of the things that come to mind. I was um, hearing you interviewed somewhere else and somebody was asking you about your experience as a spy. And you were saying a lot of times people think that we're these like lone wolves. That's like a misconception about your role and that actually you're quite supported Absolutely, the CIA. I'm curious if you ever felt like a lone wolf as a parent feeling limited support.
1: No question. What happened... Um... I moved back to Washington DC from overseas shortly before I had children so I did not have a built-in network of girlfriends or that support and and it felt odd and it, it's hard it's hard enough to have new babies but then to try to make new friends at the same time even though they're new moms you know it's it's a lot to ask it's a lot to ask so it, that wasn't easy as well we moved to new mexico when they were 7 and that's where they went to school primarily and that's when i made some really deep female friendships because you know it starts with your children uh that sports games and so forth and that helped as well it was the those years from when they were 3 until we moved I, I, it's it's, I'm still unpacking it. I mean, so much was happening that it was hard to take in, honestly. And I'm, I realized we needed to move out of Washington DC and that's why we did so.
0: Yeah, it would feel, uh, I think becoming a parent oftentimes can feel lonely. And then all these other things going on where you probably needed to isolate a bit just for your own kind of emotional and personal safety. That would be a really hard time.
1: And most Americans now, I don't know what the statistics are, but I bet the majority of Americans are not living close to family. That in forever, uh, that was always the case. You had grandmothers, you had aunties, you had other female, close female companions to help ease that burden of the new child. And um, most Americans don't have that. I mean, we're a very mobile nation and uh, the, the piece that's missing in that are those routes where someone to go, I'll take the baby for the afternoon. Shoo, shoo. You go do whatever you want to do. Uh, and let's not even have the conversation because we know it's a whole other conversation on quality child care
0: in this country. Most people can't afford it, very simply put. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice to be able to have opportunities for support. So those are all things that impact how we're doing emotionally. You mentioned the movie of your life, Fair Game and your book of the same title and that you are an author of some other fun books. What else are you doing professionally now? I think I saw something about spies, lies, and nukes. um, A little bit about that. Yeah, I've been running a conference. We just did a third one called Spies, Lies, and
1: Nukes. We did it in Santa Fe, New Mexico just a few months ago. I basically called up my former CIA colleagues. They are highly decorated really respected. And uh, hey, say, hey, want to come to Santa Fe? It's open to the general public, and it went over for about two and a half days. We hit the hot spots, uh, trying to connect the dots, really showing what's going on behind uh, In when you read about these things in the headlines, the national security issues behind them, the intelligence issues behind them. I'm really proud to say people came up to me afterwards, said it was the best conference they had ever been to. So uh, that, means, that means a lot to me. We, we're not just telling old war stories, although sometimes that history is there to connect the dots. But for instance, we had the, the head of CIA disguise. She and her husband wrote the book that they based the movie Argo on. We're talking about Ukraine, Hamas and Israel, of course, what's going on in China. I had a former KGB illegal as well. So it's it's. I wanted it to be, and it is both educational as well as entertaining. I'm working on that. I'm doing some film and TV projects. I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of writing. And I continue to
0: be passionate about the nuclear threat issue. Wow, what a full life. And the conference sounds so cool. And do we think there'll be a year four of the conference?
1: Absolutely. In fact, I was just speaking with my great speaker group and we're talking about our next one we might do in the Washington DC area and possibly even doing a cruise in the Mediterranean
0: 2025. So how fun would that be? <laughs> That's amazing. All right. I'm staying tuned for those because they sound really cool. Yeah. If any, um, The website is spiesliesnukes.com.
1: If any of your listeners want to just check it out. And so we're, we're figuring out what
0: our next event will be exactly. Awesome. All right. And then you mentioned the disguises. I was actually thinking, here you are, an attractive, uh, blonde-haired person. And I'm wondering, what did they do for disguises to make you not be a person who is an attractive, blonde-haired person?
1: What they do, and the woman who who I brought, my former colleague, John Amendez, chief of disguise, she was put it this way: She is a um, she is a white sort of, rec- sort of, strawberry blonde hair woman. She was in the Oval Office with George W. Bush as a black woman. And he had no idea. She was briefing him and then like Mission Impossible pulled off her mask. And uh, so th- what they can do is astonishing. And uh, it w- people loved her talk, of course. It was great. Oh, yeah. Now, it sounds- how, do you, how do you use every trick in the book to make you not look like you? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes that's very, it, the security is paramount and that's really important. So you mm-hmm. can do what you need to do.
0: Well, one um, other question before we wrap up. You are probably one of very few people who has had a movie and I know I think some songs written about you. And I'm wondering what that felt like. And did you have a chance to consult with people and say, this is the emotional tone of that moment? Or is it just a free-for-all and whomever's playing you? I think you said Naomi Watts. Well, they get to go for it.
1: Yeah. Joe and I were involved in the movie Fair Game. Uh, we we got to know Naomi and Sean they're both amazing actors and uh, worked with the scriptwriters a butterworth but let me just say the whole thing is surreal i mean i didn't enter the cia thinking that i wanted to be a public person i didn't need i did not derive my sense of satisfaction from that and yet that is what has happened so it took me a while to make this own transition in my head but I thought if I'm going to be a public person, I'm going to speak about things that I care about. And they are things like postpartum depression or the nuclear threat or the importance of voting, you know, what whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think um, I'm hearing you say that there were these opportunities you never expected. And now that you have a platform, you want to be able to advocate for things that you feel like make a difference.
1: Exactly. I mean, at the end of it all, don't you want to be able to say, "Well, I tried to do what I could to make the make the world a tiny bit better"? What's I mean, uh, so those are that's the reason why I focus on the things that I do. They speak to my heart and my personal experience,
0: and everyone needs to make that choice for themselves. Yeah. Well, Valerie, you are so nice to sit down and let me pick your brain and share with us your experiences. And I wish you a lot of success with everything else you're working on professionally and personally.
1: Thank you so much, Joel. What a pleasure to be with you. And I
0: I appreciate the opportunity. Information on Hindsight is 2020 is intended for general education and informational purposes. Engagement in this podcast does not constitute a professional relationship, and this content is not intended to be an alternative or substitute for professional psychological support. Individuals are encouraged to pursue that through a licensed healthcare provider. If you're experiencing an emergency, please report to your closest emergency department or contact 988.